Bible study is a spiritual act of worship. Amen. Amen. And uh, and uh, so you, some of you may have heard. What's the significance of the day today? Ash what? Ash Wednesday. It's Ash Wednesday. What is Ash Wednesday? The start of Lent. The start of Lent. What 40, is Lent? Forty days before Easter. Forty days before Easter. Why is it always on a Wednesday? We have a Lent filter in our place. <laughs> because what? Because Easter's always on a Sunday, and forty days before forty. 46 days, six days in a week, then you can't count Sundays. Issue, issue with that, sir. Oh, I'm sorry. Because every four years, as we know, we have leap year. And this is, this is a leap year, so, so is Wednesday, it? Sunday thing shouldn't work. Oh, it shouldn't work. I don't know. Do the math. Report back. I'm too dull. <laughs> so, and why is that 40 days after Easter? So, we're not talking about that. We're talking about Ash Wednesday. So, where, where did Ash Wednesday come from? Confetti. Okay, so that's so there was a tradition from the burning of the palms when when Jesus was what made the triumphal entry. Made the triumphal entry. Okay, so that's the beginning of it. And so, uh, who can find for me the biblical account of the celebration of of Lent and Ash Wednesday? Pardon me? Oh, it's not there. Oh, it's not there. So is, um, why, why do most Protestant churches then not, quote unquote, celebrate, you know, the, the meaning behind the word that I use there. Why do most Protestant churches not celebrate Ash Wednesday? It's not part of the tradition. Because what? It's not part of the tradition. Not part of the tradition. What else? It's, it's a Catholic thing. Really? I think it's a Jewish thing first. Is it a Jewish thing? I know it's a Jewish thing because I had some Jewish people tell me that that's. I asked them why they had the marks on their forehead. Jewish people with a cross on their forehead? Uh, yeah. Maybe they were, what do you call them, Jews? Messianic Jews, maybe? Yes. Oh, okay. That's interesting. It's so, it's not. Yeah. So, it's not, it's not it's like scriptural. It's not biblical. It is, but you said it's tradition. It's tradition. Okay. Forty-six days to Easter, yes, but you don't count Sundays, according to Lent. Are you find this in First John? <laughs> <laughs> That's a really good question. A praise. The designated reader is back tonight. Um, we're glad that the designated reader and, and her husband are feeling better this week. Okay. Uh, is there a problem with celebrating uh, Lent, by the way, uh, or even even uh, having a, a, a any kind of a ceremony to commemorate Ash Wednesday? Anything wrong with that? No. Even though it's not biblical. Probably not. No, absolutely not. <coughs> absolutely not. So, uh, do you have? Jesus, well, do you have any traditions? That are uh, just personally. Do you have any traditions that are outside of the biblical construct in your like spiritual disciplines or something? Anybody? Yeah, we hunt Easter eggs. Yeah, Easter eggs. Yeah. Okay. All right. Christmas What's that? Christmas tree. Christmas tree. You have a Christmas tree? <coughs> Why would anybody do that? You still have it up? He's <laughs> early. He's early. What does Ash Wednesday and Lent represent? 
And what is the preparation for Easter from the tradition that is mostly, mostly uh, there are some Protestant denominations that would celebrate this, but mostly, mostly our Catholic friends. So what is the purpose for Lent? Oh, okay, and what is typically done then? Give up something. Fasting. Oh, okay, fasting, giving something up. There's a self-sacrificial side to it, isn't there? There's a spiritual cleansing, if you will, in terms of giving something up. And so, what? The, and so, we know what fasting is all about, don't we? Okay, and so there's no, there is a there is a biblical there is a biblical precedent established for fasting, isn't there? Okay, and so we know that it's a good thing to be reminded of the fact that we're sinners, right? And if we're giving something up, there isn't anything bad with that, is there? There's nothing wrong with that. So we just have to be careful that if we're going to have these traditions, so there's Ash Wednesday, there will be churches that tonight are having a service tonight on Ash Wednesday. And there are going to be people that are very deliberate in terms of this 40 days of Lent, of giving something up and being de very deliberate and very uh, heartfelt in terms of why they're doing it, reminding them of the sufferings of Christ and preparation for, for Easter, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Absolutely nothing wrong. I was just going to say, I'm giving up football. And <laughs> okay. So, perfect. You heard it here first. God is giving up football um, forever. I, that's what I heard him say. <laughs> forever? Well, since 1974. <laughs> so, Scott's going to become a Los Angeles Rams fan. Okay. Uh, he'll, he'll go back to when Green Bay gets to the Super Bowl. <laughs> All right, that was just a little sidebar because today is Ash Wednesday, and, uh, and I think it's it's good. Uh, we can encourage the body of Christ. I, I have several friends that are born again Catholics uh, that are um, uh, they practice the Catholic faith, but they have put their faith in Christ. They are born again believers on Jesus Christ, and and uh, and Lent is important to them. And if it's important to them, and they do it in a biblical fashion, meaning that they don't make an idol out of it, if, it's that, if that is their tradition, then we should encourage them. We should encourage them, just like we should encourage one another if we've never fasted before. Anybody fasted? Hmm. Anybody in the not ever fasted category? Okay. Um, and so... Uh, and the Bible tells us how we ought to do that, right? Nobody should know, frankly. Okay, and that's kind of the one thing. But we should encourage them that it's okay. It's a tradition. It's okay. It's totally okay. Um, last week we were we were taking a look at this chapter that had a lot to do with love, 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 love. And so to combat the false teaching that had entered the church, John exposed the church to this radical truth that God is love. He said that twice in this, in, in this just a couple of paragraphs. And that then he talked about love in the context, context of, of identifying where love comes from. Which is God. Love comes from God because God is love. It's a very profound thing that he talks about in this letter to the church that had been the church that had been kind of torn apart by this by this false teaching. He goes on to explain that 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 how love is the basis for our relationship with him. 
It's the basis of our relationship because he also said that God loved us first. Well, see, that's much easier to deal with, isn't it? That God loved us first than it is to say that God is love. Because in our humanity, we, we tend to struggle with that God is love as an attribute as opposed to, eh, right, I love you, man. I love you, man. Okay. But see, we can say that. I love my wife. I love... Yeah, I love chili verde. And, and uh, you know, but, but God is love, this attribute of his that is all-encompassing everything he is. Not just what he does. Of course, it is what he does, but it's, it's, it's who he is. It's his essence. And, and John is trying to get us to understand that. So, God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God, and God in him. He ties this all together, talking about love, that, that if you love, you're going to be known, aren't you? And you're actually going to be born of God, and we're going to see that again tonight. So there's a completeness in God's love, according to John. You believe John? Why? He was there. <laughs> yeah, he, he comes with some pretty significant creds, doesn't he? Okay, so he was there and he was speaking and walking and living with Jesus. And he is, he is telling the church these things and he had a, a, a tremendous amount of credibility. And he was very trustworthy. And it is, again, just the opposite of these false teachers, the antichrists that John talks about that had already entered the world that were teaching falsehood that weren't trustworthy because they had, they had no basis for the teaching. Yet people believed. And we're going to look at belief tonight. Because this next chapter, chapter 5, starts with that very concept of believing. So, we have to remember the context because that's everything. The context is this letter is about correcting false teaching. But it's so much more than that, isn't it? I think we've learned a lot about John and his, his personality. John, isn't it amazing how God uses each of us? The Apostle John is just, just a man, okay? Totally inspired by the Holy Spirit to write the Gospels and, and these epistles and, and more. And yet, um, God didn't strip him of his personality. In fact, quite conversely, used his personality. Used his personality to communicate. And he was communicating in such a trustworthy way to the church. And he talked about everything in terms of these contrasts, right? Light and dark, obviously. Okay, sin and righteousness, life and death. And so, um, here's, here's the command. Whoever loves God must... You can circle that one. Must, right, also love his brother. 1 John 4, 21. That's where he ends up. He says, hey, here's the command. If you love God, you must love your brother. So, if there's anybody sitting in here right now that you don't love, there's a problem. And we can actually make light of it, but John doesn't, does he? What does John say about not loving That's not the case in every church, is it? 
certainly wasn't the case in this church that he was talking to. So, John now turns to faith and love. Starting in chapter 5. He never really stops this love thing, though, does he? <laughs> this is, kind of sounds redundant, but one of the things I love about John is that he always talks about love. And, and, and that's, that's truly the essence of who God is. And so, clearly, John the Apostle was so profoundly impacted by his time walking with Jesus who showed love, love, love. It was the essence of who Jesus was in his deity and his humanity. And that's what he's trying to relay here because the church was being told what? That no, Jesus never even came in the flesh. They were denying what John was even telling them. But John was there. It was hard to argue with. And yet, these false teachers had adherents. They had people that believed them. Even though they were teaching something with no credibility, no substantiation, no background, no backup. And John had all of that. Boy, we're fragile, aren't we? Aren't we fragile? So what does that teach us? Nothing has changed. But what about personalize it for a second? What does that teach you? Don't you love the Bereans? Mm -hmm. Check it out. Check it out because you've got to go someplace for some that, that, that's credible, right? You've got to go someplace that's credible. Otherwise, people are falling for stuff. What is, what's that? What's that secular saying? There's a sucker born every minute or something like that. And that's a crude thing to say. But on the other hand, there is somebody will believe almost anything. Okay, and so you have to really put in the effort. So, we have our reader, 1 John 5, the first five verses, please. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God. By loving God and carrying out his commands. This is love for God to obey his commands, and his commands are not burdensome. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Very powerful five verses packed with a lot of really good stuff as John transitions to talking about a lot of things that he starts with. This is. In fact, there are three this is's in these five in these five uh, verses. But he first he starts out, he says, everyone who believes if you're a if you're a scribbler like I am. Uh, you might want to underline that who believes or circle it or something. Highlight it. Because what tense is he speaking in? Everyone who believes. Didn't he write this a couple thousand years ago? That's amazing, isn't it? Still very relevant today, obviously, all of this is. And, but he wrote it to the first century church and he says... Everyone, remember, the scroll's open, the scribe is reading it. 
everyone who believes that Jesus Christ, that Jesus is the Christ, is what? Okay, the theme of love continues. How are you born of God? Okay, pretty straightforward, isn't it? Simple? Okay, so you're born of God according to 1 John chapter 5, verse 1, by believing. Believing what? But what? That Jesus is the Christ. Okay? Jesus is the Christ. Okay, so is that it? No. No. No what? What's is there more? Mm-hmm. What? What more is there? Practically that Jesus is born of God and everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. But that's a res- is that the so you I'm confused. Did you help me understand that? What's that? This is how we know we love the children of God. Okay, but but first he starts with saying that, that everyone, and who's everyone? All believers. Yeah, everyone is still everyone. <laughs> he doesn't leave anybody out, does he? Everyone that ever has been. But they have to be believers. Well, what, yeah, what? Yeah, what? He's leaving people out. They have to be believers. They have to be believers. Oh, so it's everyone who <laughs> believes. Okay, then. So what does it mean then to believe? Because we have to deal with this belief thing. It was awesome because the crazy thing is is that I just heard a sermon on this very recently. Might have been Sunday. Could have been. It was a good sermon, too. I even remember it. I made notes. And so, the reason I made notes is because I've been studying this. I'm thinking, wait a minute. Has he been thinking about it? Did he read First John this passage? I don't know. But anyway, so what does it mean to believe? And what did we learn just last Sunday in this building right here? What did we learn about believing last Sunday? What does it mean? There was an example. I like that. Put your full weight on. Resting on. Okay. So that's what it means to believe. What? Get in the wheelbarrow. Okay. Getting in the wheelbarrow. And what was the example of the wheelbarrow? What was you? Trust. Huh? Trust. Trust. Okay. And so what was the story behind the wheelbarrow? Niagara Falls. Niagara Falls is a great... What was his name? Melinda or... Mo- yeah. Is that his name? Who? Melinda? Melinda. Wallinda? Wallinda. Okay. The great Wallinda. Yeah. So anyway, so... So this guy, um, I couldn't stand it. So Sunday afternoon, I went online and I Googled it, you know. (laughs) I didn't know this guy did it. I was interested, you know. What a nutcase, man. I'm looking at the picture of this guy and he's got this big old thing over his, his, and it's a cable. They stretch this cable. And and they had a picture. They had a GoPro or something on his head. I don't know what it was. And they had this picture. And I'm, you know, I don't like heights. And this guy is standing on this cable and it's like a long ways down there. A really long ways, and and so we were looking at that or listening to that sermon talking about about trusting, you know. And do you believe that this guy could make it, you know, back and forth across that wire? Yeah, everybody believed until Pastor Richie says, "Well, then if he could do it with the wheelbarrow with 350 pounds, would you get in?" And most people, in fact, I would say probably every person, if there was a thousand people there, nobody would get in that wheelbarrow. Nobody would get in that. So do you believe? 
That was the that was the point of that question. Do you believe? Because if you believe that he could do it, and you just watched him do it, why the heck wouldn't you just get in the wheelbarrow? What's the big deal? Because he's not God. <laughs> <clears throat> That's true. So, what does it mean then to believe? Because. We're confronted now all of a sudden because it is says right here, everyone who believes. So Joanne says that there's a group of people that are left out because there are some that don't believe. But for those that believe, are they all in the believe category? We better figure out what believe means before we determine whether, heck, are we in the believe category? What does believe mean? Believe in that Christ is God. But if you had to define the term believe based on what you know, what does it mean? mean How do you define it? It means you understand that Jesus is God. Okay, but just the word. Believe? Yeah. Okay, what does Webster say? Okay, you know that that's where I'm going. <laughs> but I went to the 2014 Webster's Dictionary. <laughs> it's current. And this is what it said. It says, Webster's 2014, believe. First, to have a firm religious faith. Do you know what the 1957 Webster said? To have a firm religious faith. Woohoo! I think this is the first time that I've looked in the in the 57 Webster's compared to a current Webster's where they didn't change something that had some theological component to it. I was so excited when I saw that. And it also says in Webster's 2014, it says also to accept something as true or genuine versus the, the 1957 Webster's, it says to take as true or honest. But that's interesting because 1957 is pretty current. And when was this re- letter written? A couple years before. Pardon me? A couple, years before that. a couple of years before that, like a couple of 2000 like years before that. Okay. So this letter is written in the first century, and, and John says, everyone who believes, it's the present tense, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. That's a pretty important thing to understand here, because he's talking about people that are born of God, they're in the light, versus people that are not. And where are they? Darkness. I mean, there's a huge, it's a life and death issue that he's talking about here. And it becomes pretty important to understand that this believing might not mean what you think it means. Because words matter. So, when we translate it from the Greek, then it goes to the Latin, and then it comes to the English. Oh boy, do things get messed up. Because what did believing mean? Now, we saw on Sunday, I love this, I hadn't seen this before, but Richie was, was leaning on Scott. Okay? He was leaning on him, his full weight. Believing meant putting, so as, as, as was demonstrated by that um, uh, uh, event on, on Sunday, there was a belief there was, a, there was a trust, but believing meant that, that Richie could put his full weight on. His full weight on Scott. And so, in the first century, and here's what happens with words, and now you know why an expository teaching becomes really important. Because if you just said, everyone who believes, that's to have a firm religious, a firm religious faith or to accept something as true... 
It's not enough. It's not enough. Because in the first century, the readers of this letter, they wouldn't have thought that at all. Because belief in the first century, the word that comes out of the Greek means to have a loyalty to a person to whom one is bound to in promise or in duty. What? That has nothing to do with the definition by today's standard of what the word believe means. And I, always, I like to use this example all the time, and I'm not being disrespectful or disingenuous when I do it, but you'll understand, and, we'll, and there'll probably be some snickers. But I have told people all along that I am gay. Because by virtue of the 1957 Webster's, gay means happy and alive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But we've changed the meaning, and, and so a gay means a, a, something very different than it, and, and that's okay. It's okay that it's changed, but you have to understand the context. Otherwise, you put today's meaning into something that isn't there. So what becomes important is that we understand that that from the Greek, when John says everyone who believes, that's completely rests on with all their weight, is completely loyal to, completely loyal to. Start to see the difference? It becomes something more than just having some religious faith. There is an all-inness to this word all of a sudden that we don't get today. Because somebody would say, well, do you believe? Well, yeah, I believe. Do you believe in truth? Have you heard this one? Oh, of course I believe in truth. But I believe in my truth. <laughs> Not your truth. Because your truth is okay for you, but my truth is okay for me. Yeah. Well, then you don't believe in truth, then, do you? Because, well, no, because... I, I, I may, I, oh, it starts getting kind of confusing, doesn't it? Because the, the words matter. And so the meaning that you pour into the word in the first century, I submit to you, we must put that meaning into it today. Otherwise, we miss it. Otherwise, it becomes relative. And so truth becomes relative. And when John says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ, is born of God, well, Doris, that's true for you, and that's relative to you, and I believe in God, but I don't believe that. It's been said, right? So we have to be, we have to be really concerned about what the words mean. So this, this loyalty to a person or bound to a person in promise or in duty is what John would have been talking about. Now remember the first century church, if you said you believed it was a death sentence because they were being persecuted. They were slaughtering Christians, even Paul, before his road to Damascus experience. What was he doing? He was going to persecute those, put them in jail, and essentially kill those that were committed to the way. Which was Jesus. Wow. It becomes bigger and more powerful. And it's been watered down when we today think about belief. Because it's so much more than an intellectual assent. Because today that's what it means. 
If you believe something, well, I've studied it, and I've read the books, and I have this, and I've gone through that, and I have the internet. And so I've come to the, to the decision through this intellectual ascent as I've studied these, these words and I've, I've read these authors that I now believe, and it's all an intellectual ascent. But that's not what it meant at all in the first century. There was no intellectual ascent to it. It was an all-in-the-wheelbarrow moment. See, believing, I love what happened on Sunday. The belief that John is talking about in this very first uh, sentence here is a belief that you would not have hesitated had somebody said, get in the wheelbarrow, we're going across the Grand Canyon. That's the belief that they're talking about. That's, that's what the word means. All in Fully, resting, totally committed. <clears throat> Woo! Personalized, that one. That's challenging, isn't it? My guess is there's one person in this room, including myself, that believes. Like that. Because how can you in the transformation process? How, how, I mean, do we want to? Yeah, of course, who doesn't? I would if Jesus was pushing the wheelbarrow. <laughs> if Jesus was pushing the wheelbarrow, there would be no need for a cable. Yeah. <laughs> True. Okay, so how many angels can fit on that? Never mind. So when you see the word believe in the Bible, I really want you to think about the fact that it doesn't mean what Webster says it means in 1957 or 2014, the latest edition of the Webster's Dictionary that I have. Okay? Believe means fully resting your weight on, total loyalty to, 100%, all in, absolute, no question. Woo. So now when you say, <clears throat> everyone who believes, you know what it means. It's more than just, oh yeah, I believe that. That's pretty casual on a comparative basis to what it would have been to the audience that the scribe was reading this scroll to. Okay? The crazy thing was that I think many of them really did believe. But who didn't believe? The false teachers. The false teachers and those that they had pulled away. See, they were so fragile, not very different than us, quite frankly. They were so fragile that as soon as the teaching was there, that no, Jesus didn't come in the flesh. It was a spiritual thing. And so he was just a man. He was born a man, and he died a man, and the whole spiritual component of who Jesus is. Did they believe in Jesus? Oh, they said they believed. But they didn't believe in who Jesus is, you see. And so that's what pulled them away from the truth. Because believing to them wasn't a wheelbarrow moment. It had nothing to do with the wheelbarrow for them. Jen? I like the weekly translators, and I, uh, you know, sent them money for a long time. And it's always interesting to me how they can define a word to the tribe or the people that they're working with. Mm -hmm. There was a young man who was working down in South America in the jungle, and he could not figure out how to teach them the meaning of faith or belief. And so he, he watched them and he, he tried and tried and he finally decided that the way to explain it to them was when they hung up their hammock 
every night, and they put the strings to the four corners of the hammock up on the rafters of their house or wherever they were. They put their whole weight on their hammock, and they could trust their hammock string. <coughs> so he said, just the way you trust your hammock strings is the way you have to trust God. Yeah, that's an all-in moment. <laughs> yeah, now trust your hammock strings as you're hammocking over the top of the Grand Canyon. <laughs> Do you trust them? Uh-huh. That becomes pretty important. Now we have to be really careful here because we can't confuse this believing that we're talking about, this this all-in-ness, this wheelbarrow type of believing. Um, forever this believing thing is going to be a wheelbarrow for me, so I'm ruined for life now. But nonetheless, nonetheless, we can't confuse that believing with sanctification or transformation. Okay? Don't, don't, don't get confused because just because we're in process and we don't understand something or God is working on us in a particular way has nothing to do with believing. It has to do with transformation. We are all in that process. Okay, so don't get confused about that because somebody can read this uh, very much the wrong way by saying, well, if I don't believe all in, I don't believe I'm in darkness. No, 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 no. That's not the case at all. What John is talking about here is just, what does the word believe mean in the first century? It's an all-in moment. Uh, I, I would submit to you that there are, there are people in churches every Sunday that are in the all-in, in sanctification and transformation, and there are people that aren't in at all. Okay? There's all kinds of people. And that's the people that John was writing this letter to. i got to believe that some of these folks heard this letter that had already left the church because their, their friends said, Hey, Betty! You're not going to believe what John wrote to us. What he wrote is that if we don't believe on the fact that Jesus Christ came in the flesh, that we're in the darkness, that we're not even a part of God's kingdom. We're not even, we're, we're, we're not born of God. And some of them, I have to believe, I don't know this, maybe we'll find out someday. I have to believe that some of them said, what? I've never heard that before i got to believe that those were first century witnesses. And they went out and said, no, it came right from John. He was there. And they probably went, really? Maybe I should come back. Because now, now I'm confused. There had to, maybe they were seekers. Maybe they wanted to believe. And maybe in their unbelief, they came back <coughs> in belief. I, I don't know. But I do know that we can't confuse believing with sanctification and transformation. We're all in that process. We're all in that process. Turn to Romans 8, excuse me, Romans 10. Because there's a way that we're supposed to believe. John here says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God and everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. So we're believing all in. But there's another component to it. Romans 10, 8 through 10. Reader, please. But what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith we are proclaiming. That if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. And it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. How does that work? Because isn't that what John is talking about? 
hey, y'all, if you believe, if you're all in the wheelbarrow, if you're all in, if you're putting all your weight on Christ, on Jesus the Christ, if you are completely in your hammock, completely trusting in, loyal to, committed in your heart, Romans says. How, how, how do you believe with your heart? How does that work? Okay, through the work of the Spirit, okay. And what's the difference between the intellectual assent that I can read about? Do I have to be a believer to read this Bible? No. Of course not. Can I read through the whole thing and still not believe? Can I get through the first three words and believe? Yeah. Okay, so what's the difference? How can you believe with your heart on a comparative basis to your head? Don't we always say that? Don't we always do that? Boy, if we could just get it out of this thick skull of mine... And down here to where it's soft. You know, man, I'd really get it if I could do that. How, how does that work? Through the power of the Spirit? What does that mean? Through the power of the Spirit. Okay. And you are no longer in the unbelieving hand. Hmm. course here because you know you've had the you've had the whole of scripture haven't you in the first century I'm wondering what those folks that were sitting in this building and had these pews and they were getting in the scroll was opened you know and it was all handwritten and this guy was reading it and, and he was reading it in a language that I can't read and and, and, and so you know and they, and they were hearing this for the first time and and uh, and and because he's talking about the same thing in Romans as he's talking about in, in first John he's talking about hey you gotta you gotta believe everyone who believes and and and, and Throughout the entirety of Scripture, here it says, and you got, and you believe. Wow, you you believe in your heart, and it says, in fact, it says that it's a salvation issue, isn't it? So if you believe with your your heart and you confess with your mouth, there, there, there's a there's a salvation issue there, isn't there? That's how you that's how you do that. So I think if we think of it this way, heart belief bears much fruit. Intellectual belief bears little to none. So if you're really interested in your own life of seeing whether or not you have had an intellectual assent towards trusting Jesus, or if you've really believed in your heart through the power of the Spirit, it's a supernatural thing. Well, look at the fruit. There should be a pretty good-sized plate of fruit. If there isn't any fruit, I'm wondering if it's maybe an intellectual assent. If the plate is empty, I guarantee you it's an intellectual assent. I have a friend that's a uh, probably an agnostic, but he borders on being an atheist. Um, and uh, he has no problem with who I am in Christ. Let's me talk about it. That's not a. It's a non-starter, non-issue for him. Even likes to have the conversation. Isn't even argumentative. Doesn't believe a bit of it. 
But he knows more than most Christians I know. He loves the Bible. He just doesn't believe it here. He doesn't believe it here. Last week we saw the biblical truth is that faith and belief may lead to an intellectual pursuit or an intellectual pursuit could lead lead to faith and, and or belief, right? It could go either way. I'm certain my experience that I came to Christ through an intellectual pursuit. I was trying to figure it out, so I read like a madman. I read every book I could get my hands on, and it was a three-year process. Other people, they just believe. And then they come to the understanding later. That never made any sense to me. i got to understand first. <laughs> until I realized that it's 20 years later, and I'm still trying to figure out how to understand the more I know, the less I know. But you see, you believe that there is one God, according to James 2.19. Good! Even the, even the demons believe that. You know, so there's this, whole, there's this whole pursuit about belief. So belief, we're driving home this belief thing because it's really important to understand that belief means all in. Belief means all in. So everyone who believes that Christ, Jesus is the Christ, right? associated with this. In fact, if you hate your brother, you're in the darkness. There is no love and you don't believe. See how John, he just does this. This whole letter is doing this. <laughs> he always says, you either love or y'all don't. I mean, it's pretty straightforward. He doesn't, it's not a, it's not a complicated letter. It's, it's, it's just, it's, it's, it's actually easy to understand. Most of it. Most of it. So there are these three sentences that start with this is. Right? You see him there in the first five verses? This is, this is, this is. What does this is mean? When, when a sentence starts with this is, what are you expecting next? What it is. So you're expecting something. <laughs> okay. Yeah, you're expecting whatever it is. I like that. Yeah, I expect it. Okay, some instruction. Explanation. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so we're about to get some. We're about to get a statement or an explanation, or we're going to get something, aren't we? Okay, he's going to say this is verse two. This is how we know that we love the children of God by loving God and carrying out His commands. What are commands? What is it if you're going to carry out commands? What does that mean? What are you doing? Obeying. You're obeying. You're being obedient. It's interesting. Notice how this is reversed. Have you thought about that? Read verse two very slowly. This is how we know that we love the children of God by loving God and carrying out His commands. Isn't that interesting? Because we've been told all along it's been reversed. 
If you love God, you're going to love each other. What did Jesus even tell the boys as they were going down the road trying to figure out, okay, hey, come on, we got all these commandments, Jesus, which are the important ones. And he kind of put them in their place and he said, you know what? If you get, they're all important, but if you get these first two, you're going to be, you're going to be silent. Okay? Love me and love everybody else. Okay? Work on those and you're going to be doing real good. You're going to be doing real good. But here he says, John says, we love the children of God by loving God. Interesting. He just reversed it. That's all. So how do you know you love the church, the children of God? How do you know you love the church? If you love the children of God, and love God. You, you love the church because you love God. How do you know that you love God? By loving the children of God. It's interesting. It goes both ways, huh? And by being obedient, there's an obedient component to it. So, it, but it goes both ways. I think John's point is, I don't know this, but as I read it, I'm thinking John's point is, hey, let's not confuse them. Let's make sure that they get it. Okay? Love God and love each other. There's a priority to it. And those two are so close, aren't they? Because <laughs> you can't do one without the other. If you have one without the other, John says you're in darkness. They're not of us. Because they love God, but they hate Ernie. <laughs> That you can't hate Ernie and say you love God. That's not true. They're not of us. They're in darkness. They even say they hate Ernie. No, you can't. Sorry. Why? Why? Because, well, you can, but you can't be in the light. <laughs> okay, you can choose to hate Ernie. That would be very difficult to do, by the way. But if you did, you would be in the darkness. And that's what John is saying. Verse 3. This is, again... <coughs> Somebody's about to give us something. Here is an explanation, a statement of some kind. This is love for God. Colon. That always means to me, stop and think for a second. This is love for God. He's about to tell me what this love for God is. To obey His commands. Now, I don't want you to think like you're a 21st century Christian. I want you to think like you're a 1st century Christian. You just walked into this place and this is the only biblical truth you've ever heard. This letter. That's it. You got no you got no other basis for anything. Other than you know John was with Jesus. You know that. Okay? And he wrote this and it's credible. And he says this is love for God to obey his commands. And then he says, "What?" Not there is, there's no burden in obeying his commands. Hmm. It's really interesting. Now, i got to make a point here because I can. <laughs> and and here's, here's a point. I'd like to take a look at this in a couple of different translations. Um, and here's why. If we look at this verse, verse 3... In the, the copyright version of the NIV translation that, that we're fond of around here, okay, just one good version. Of, I, I use lots of versions, frankly, in my study, but this is the one that, this is my beat-up Bible that I go to most often. It's the NIV, 1984. And it says this. 
This is love for God. To obey his commands. Period. But if you got the new NIV, if any of you have the new NIV, post-copyrighted 1984, it says this. In fact, this is love for God. To keep his commands. Now the word obey is completely eliminated. And the word to keep is inserted. And the issue with the word obey being changed to keep, I believe, is important. And why is it important that they change that word to keep from to obey? Why is it important to understand why they did that and why I won't use a current NIV translation, only the old translation. Why? It lessens it. Because it lessens it. It softens it. And they went to gender neutral. And they t and if you if you do a word for word uh, a review of the new NIV, where the where the, and God bless them, they did a lot of work to go through all of that, and they really did some disservice. I mean, some real disservice. And so it has been culturally corrupted. That's just my opinion. I'm just giving you my opinion. The new NIV has been culturally, culturally corrupted. And they fell to exactly what John is writing to this church about 2,000 years ago. Exactly. Yeah. Isn't that wild? Yeah. They fell for it. And they said, the culture doesn't understand this word obedience. Women, obey your husbands. They completely negate the fact that the burden, frankly, is on the husband. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Meaning you are self-sacrificially all in for, for her. See, they, they, they miss that. They just don't like the obedience part because of the women's movement. Okay, enough said. I'm not going to go any farther than that. I get all cranked up about that stuff because, you see, it's real in our life. What's real in our life is, is that we have young Christians that are coming and they say, and I went to the bookstore 20 years ago and said, I want to buy a Bible. They said, which one? I had no clue that there was more than one. I didn't have the slightest idea. And they gave me this one. It was the NIV. Praise God. It's a, it's a thought to thought translation and it's a really good one. So they changed it. Not so much anymore. But I wouldn't have known. I would have never known. Never. And so all of a sudden, it becomes important, doesn't it? So now we're even forced today to be even more than Bereans. Because yeah. we not only have to test it against what Scripture says, now we're confronted with having to have the right Scripture. Oh. I'm telling you, I'm, I'm telling you, the evil one is making it more and more difficult. The farther we go, come Jesus, right? Because that's the only thing that's going to solve the problem. Yeah. That the Bible says it couldn't be burdensome. It's not burdensome. And it looks like it hasn't been for you. You've worn out your Bible. <laughs> <laughs> you've used it so many times. It hasn't been a burden. No, and it hasn't. And so let's, let's follow up with that. Why isn't it a burden? This love that he says that we that we have this 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 is love for God to obey his commands and his commands are not burdensome. What is the connection here to love for God? Well, if it was a burden, 
you wouldn't be leaning all your weight and trust on it. If it was a burden, you wouldn't be leaning all your weight and trust, okay? For everyone born of God overcomes the world. For everyone born of God, and so, and and how is that? What's the connection? Well, his commands are not burdensome, so you overcome the world, and you have a victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Okay, you're getting ahead. I like it. So, so because because we have overcome the world, his commands aren't burden. Which commands? What what's a burden then? Remember, this is the book of contrasts. It's a letter of contrast. If the commands of God aren't a burden, what's a burden? The world. the world is a burden. The world is what the burden is, but that's not what the world will tell you. The world will tell you being here on a Wednesday night is a burden because we could be watching football. Well, we can't be watching football. It's done. But hockey. Okay, hockey. Whatever. You know, I like the I like the I like the beer and pizza analogy. You know, we could be doing anything, but but we're not. But we're not. We're here. So we see that that. This, this, John is qualifying this obedience by stating they're not a burden. That's a qualification. Hey, loving God and loving each other. I don't know about you. I think it's a lot harder not to love somebody than it is to love somebody, isn't it? You ever have those people in your... Uh, this is a stupid question because I know the answer is yes. <laughs> All right, you know that person or persons that you have in your life that are really hard to love? As a believer, because you believe, okay? You're committed. You're putting your full weight on. You're, you're leaning on Jesus. And his command is to love God and to love others. You know that, that person or persons that are so hard? They make it so hard? Compare that to the person that makes it easy. Where's the burden? That's what he's talking about. They're not a burden. He said the two most important things you got to deal with is just, hey man, just love me and, and, and love others. The burden is the ones that aren't reciprocal with it. That's hard. It's one of the things I love about the church. God designed it that way. It's so easy to come to church with a bunch of loving people. I don't know about you. I want to hang out here. <laughs> I just like being around that kind of people on a comparative to the ones that ain't so easy. It's not a burden. But that's not the context. The context that he's using in terms of not being a burden is what these people came out of in the first century. Because what was the religious system that they were mostly used to? The law. Oh my gosh, the law. <laughs> The Ten Commandments that ended up being expanded to 613 and you couldn't take a, you couldn't move a step without being burdened by this, by the rules that, who made up those rules? Man made up, the rabbis made up, these are crazy rules that they placed on top of God. And those were just the Jewish laws, not the Romans and everybody else's law. There it is. Man made. Jesus made it so simple, didn't he? He just made it simple. It's so funny. It's so backwards because the world says, oh, oh, what a burden. You can't do this and you can't do that. And you've got so many do's and so many don'ts. And, and we look at that and say, oh, no. 
Praise God for that. It's the other rules that are the burden for me, not these. <laughs> these, are, these are quite frankly easy, and it's a supernatural thing. So John is not trying to say obedience is easy. Why? Because if obedience was easy, everybody in this room could say, ah, I didn't sin today. My guess is, is that nobody in this room can say that, though. I can't. So, having said that, John's not saying that obedience is an easy thing.
Well, we see there's, you know, there's a, uh, I made note of, a, of an example of this, loving being a burden or not a burden. Um, uh, you know, I don't know about you, but you know, I've been married 40 years, and um, love is, it's, re- it's very different in my house today than it was when I had been married like two years, okay? Because um, things happen over time. And you get comfortable, and you know you get into a routine, and uh, you know anybody been there? And so that's what happens, and you know, and so you got a, you got a. Uh, my my wife um, yesterday uh, left me. Uh, uh, my wife's a crazy cat lady. You know this already. And so she has all these cats, and so she calls me Pop. You know, we never had kids, but I'm like Pop to the to the cats, and she's mom. <laughs> Pop is spelled P-A-W-P. And so she makes makes this little red heart with a purple outline, and she writes on it, and she puts it in my coffee cup yesterday morning, and it says, Mom, M-A-W-M, Mom loves Pop. And then there's a little picture of a cat, okay, because she's the crazy cat lady. And, but, you know, I hadn't seen one of those in a while. But the point is, is that when we'd been married in the early days, this was very common. In fact, she would make my lunch every day when I would go to work. That doesn't happen anymore. But, <laughs> but it was it was so bad, meaning bad in this case, meaning good, that she would make a peanut butter sandwich and put a love note in it, and I would bite into the sandwich. And there was paper in there. You ever try to take paper out of a peanut butter and jelly sandwich? I mean, but things happen. They ch- it changes over time. But I'm, I'm thinking about this biblical reference to love not being a burden. Do you remember the story of Jacob? And he was really interested in this young lady, and I think her name was Rachel. And she had a dad, and what did he say that he was willing to do in order to have her be his wife? Like his fingers to the bone for seven years, never considering that the seven years of forced hard labor was anything other than an act of love. Wasn't even a consideration for him. And not only that, it didn't exactly work out the seven years, did it? (laughs) Yeah, he had to kind of double down. But the point is, the point is love. You see, because it's harder not to love than it is to love. Put yourself now in. in, in, Where's where's God with you? Oh, He loves us so much. There's no burden. Not in love. I think sometimes He's burdened for us because we're thick. (laughs) But but it has nothing to do with love. He wants our best, doesn't He? It's like holding a grudge against someone that's way harder to forgive them. That's only when it's hurting you. Yeah, amen. Love is that way. The power, the most powerful thing that there that there ever was, and ever is, mm-hmm. and ever will be, is love. Because God yes. is love. God is love. Man, if we could just get that through our thick head, if we could just do that. Verse four. We're not going to make it very far now. Verse four doesn't matter. We got plenty of time. Well, maybe not. I don't know where we'll be next week. Jesus could come. He could. But before he does, let's read verse 4. For everyone born of God 
overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Even our faith. What does that mean? It's an expository teaching. What in the world does verse 4 mean? Somebody please tell me. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. Our victory is in heaven. Huh? Our victory is in heaven. Our victory is it? Is it? <clears throat> For sure it's in heaven. Not of this world. Because what? We're not of this world. Okay, we're not of this world, so our victory is in heaven. But okay, let's let's follow that let's follow that reasoning just a little bit. Because it says, For everyone born of God Well we just who's born of God? Believers. Those who believe. Everyone who believes. Okay. So if you're an all inner, you believe. You're born of God. And if you're born of God, you've overcome the world. It says Everyone born of God has overcome the world. This is the victory. Or you could say sin. Pardon me? Or you could say sin. Oh. Or where it says world. Well, let's follow that. Let's follow that thought too. But before we go there, let's go to the end of the sentence. It says, even our faith. What does that mean? I'm trying to figure out how this... Because words matter. And he puts these words together. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world. Even our faith. Huh? Okay. Uh, our faith overcomes that because it isn't the same. It's from God. It's a spiritual thing. Okay, it's a spiritual thing. Whereas the world's system is mostly man-made. Hmm. That's interesting because. Well, I gotta go to another translation. <laughs> I'm not even gonna go to the Greek. I'm just gonna go to another translation. I, we could pick one. Um, I know what the. I know what the New King James says, because I read it. And I know what the NIV says. And the interesting thing about the NIV as a Bible student, as you guys are also, um, as theologians, if you study these various translations, it's really interesting to me that the NIV is a, is a thought-for-thought translation, but they carried over the same language from the King James and the New King James when it says that we've overcome the world, even our faith. When... The New Living Translation, or even the English Standard Translation, says this. I'm just going to read the New Living Translation and see if this makes sense to you, the way the sentence is structured. For every child of God defeats this evil world, and we achieve this victory through our faith. Oh, I thought that captured it so much better than trying to understand that sentence that made me scratch my head. And the English Standard Version says, For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Wait, that's the same language as the other one. Except it ends with, This is the victory that has overcome our world. Our faith. Okay. I want you to think about believe again. can't bend over because I'll fall down. I don't have Scotty to hold me up. Okay. Fully resting on, totally loyal to, all the way in, sold out, bought in, whatever words you want to put to it, to Jesus. Okay. Everyone who believes, that's what believes means. Okay. And then we've defeated this evil world. How? How? By our faith. And what is our faith? 
Our faith is dependent on what? Jesus. That's the Sunday school answer, and it's the right one. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. The object of our faith. He points it all the way back to Jesus again. As is often the case, isn't it? Mm -hmm. So everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory. The victory is our faith in Christ. Because we believe. Remember the context of this whole sentence structure here. There's a, there's a paragraph we're going through here. Because we believe, we're all in. We put our faith in Christ. We're totally leaning on Him. He's totally sufficient. He's totally our everything. The question is, for them and for us, is He? Oh, see, that's a harder question to answer, isn't it? Because truth be known, everybody came here tonight, and you all sinned today. We're sinners. But we recognize that. First John says, hey, we're sinners. The Bible clearly says, we're sinners, and we're in need of a Savior. Duh. That's why we're here. So, but he says that we've overcome the world. In fact, there's a victory. We are victorious. That's what it means, because what is a victory? What's John communicating here? <coughs> we, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Victory denotes that there's some kind of a contest, at least, right? Yeah. Jesus says elsewhere, I've overcome the world. But John... Because it's powerful when you understand what believe means. Everyone who believes. Everyone who believes. And then he fills in all of these blanks for us. Totally supernatural. So we live in the world. Right? We live in the world. We've overcome the world through our faith in Christ. He is the victor. We are the recipients through our faith in Him. We had nothing to do with it. Zippo. Nada. It was Him. By design. Everyone born of God overcomes the world. Wow. It's all based on love. So this victory... There's an old hymn... Faith is a victory that overcomes the world. And I imagine he took it right from this scripture here. My guess is that's the case. I, I just looked it up. It's Ira Sankey. And he based it on First uh, John 5, 4. <laughs> the chorus is, Faith is the victory. Faith is the victory. Oh, glorious victory. Faith that overcomes the world. <laughs> That's one of the things I love about the hymns. I, I was talking to somebody the other night about this, and they said, what, what kind of music do you guys play at your church? And I said, you know me. I said, oh, we got drums. Um, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, 
<laughs> I said, you know, I've, I've really begun uh, just uh, most recently in my walk. I've been uh, appreciating, and a lot of it is, frankly, Robert's uh, persuasion, but I've been really <coughs> learning to, uh, to, to, to love the hymns. And uh, so we sing them a lot. And, and uh, you know, not only do we sing them in church, but uh, elsewhere, too. Uh, and, the, and the point is, is that, is that you know, where, where do, do the lyrics from virtually every hymn come from? And, and of course, you know, what we've done here is, is that every song that is sung in this church, whether you like the style of the music or not, it has to pass muster through one filter first. Or it doesn't get played. Period. Okay? Because otherwise, it would be happening the same thing that has been happening to the culture has infiltrated the church and all of a sudden they take the word obey out of the Bible and they say keep. It just softens it enough. I don't know what's next. Pretty soon you don't have to even keep anything. You You can just think about it. Yeah, if you have positive... Proactive thoughts. <laughs> then, I mean, you know, it's all goopy gunk, isn't it? There's, there's nothing credible behind it, is there? When we do that, because because it's the world, and the world is, the world is all disheveled because we know who is in charge of the world. So we see that victory, we've won. The victory is won. Christ won the victory. We, we're, we're recipients of that victory, and so. Uh, and of course, you know that I had to I had to look up the definition of victory because I, I love that. And so, victory is victorious in winning an achievement of mastery or success in a struggle, endeavor against odds or difficulties. I like that one. Victorious is an achievement of mastery or success in a struggle or an endeavor against odds or difficulties. Anybody have any odds or difficulties in their life? <laughs> Living in the world. Of course not, we're all perfect. Isn't that what we tend to deal with? Things are going along pretty good until the world gets in the way. All right. And so, and so, and a victory is, is overcoming an enemy or an antagonist. And John is talking about the antichrists that are already in the world that he's teaching about. Don't Follow them. Use use the scroll. Here's ours as a filter. Use it as a filter. And if what they say doesn't line up, then hightail it out of town. There's no reason. To, there's no basis. There's no. They got no credibility. They got. They got nothing. They got nothing. And that's what he's talking about. And he's talking about this victory because there's a there's a there's a battle that's going on, isn't there? Well, that's not news to us, but it is to those that are in the darkness. Because they don't understand. They can't understand. And lastly, we'll finish with this verse 5. Who is it that overcomes the world? Now, that's a good question. He answers the rhetorical question. It's rhetorical because in verse 4, frankly, he already made that statement. It's repeated. In verse 4, we got the answer, but in verse 5, he says, Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes. There's that word again. Only the one that's in the wheelbarrow. (laughs) That says that Jesus 
is the Son of God. Remember the context, the Son of God, because the false teachers were saying, well, no, we believe, on, we believe in God. We even believe in Jesus. But what's Jesus? It wasn't the Jesus John was talking about or hanging out with. It was somebody else entirely. They had put a spin on that that had no backing of any kind. And whole world religions have been built around that since that day. Since the Gnostic thought. So who is he who overcomes the world? No, well, yes, Jesus has overcome the world, but the, the question, according to verse, the context is verse 5. Who is he that overcomes the world? Those who believe in Jesus. And it, us, me. I love personalizing. Me, I've overcome the world because I believe. See, start speaking scripture. Man, it matters. I have overcome the world through faith. In Christ, period. You know, whether you get it or not doesn't change the fact that it's truth. I'm sorry. I'm not going to beat you up over it. I'm just telling you that John says that who is it that's overcome the world? The people that believe. The people that have committed their lives to Jesus Christ, knowing that their life is not their own. They've already given it up. It doesn't, it's, hey, I'm in the world. I'm not of it. I'm going to heaven. Right. That's my own. Okay. It's finished. It is finished. Jesus says it's finished, and I believe. Full weight. All in. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. <laughs> so we've primarily overcome the world. Through our faith in Christ. But it is because of who we are in Christ. Because that's what John has told us. Because Jesus told him. We are in Christ. It has nothing to do with what we do, have done, will do. It is because of who we are in Christ. We overcome the world because we've been born of God. Huh? It says. Because we said earlier we believe. This is a wheelbarrow group. <laughs> we believe. And if we believe, we've overcome the world through faith in Christ because of who we are in Christ. And it's not because of what we can, have, or will do, but because of what He did. Simple as that. We believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Amen? Amen? And we don't believe that by mere intellectual assent. We don't believe it because we read it in this book and there's a whole bunch of commentators. I can get you 3,000 books where people have written that says that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I can, give you a, I can get you 500 more that says He isn't. But we didn't get there because we had some kind of an intellectual assent to that point. We didn't get there that way. We got there because we believed. Huh? Maybe started here, but we believed here in our heart. 
and we profess with that, our mouth. I think it has to get down here in our heart because it, it's real simple for Satan to change our minds. Very, very true. And if we believe, that means, by virtue of the fact that we now understand what that word believe means, that what? We have staked our life on what we believe. That's what believe means. If you haven't staked your life on it, it doesn't mean that you're not in sanctification. It doesn't mean that you're not in the transformation process. It doesn't mean that you've just barely even entered the cocoon. Somebody could walk in this door right now and say, what are you guys doing here? Oh, we're, we're believers in Jesus Christ. How do I do that? They could, they could come to Christ right this very second and no diddly squat and be in the sanctification process. And they are just as much a believer staking their life on the fact that Jesus is the Son of God, that Jesus is the Christ. That Jesus is the Messiah. That Jesus is God. Amen? Amen. 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 Powerful teaching in 1 John. Coming. <clears throat> coming. From a problem. I love that. There was a problem. He just simply is just writing a letter. Telling him the truth. That's all he's doing. And he does it in simple language, which I really appreciate more and more. Amen? Amen.